Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez. I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. We know a lot of our listeners at the beginning stages of their flight training. There are so many different roads that you can go down that will all take you to the same place, whether that's a CFI in their own plane, a mom and pop flight school, a collegiate program, or anything in between. Today, we want to discuss the first steps of your flight training are and how to decide what type of flight training is best for you. We've got a ton of uh, information today, so try to stick with us. Brand, I know I was lucky enough to start flying with Matt. Uh, he really jumpstarted my passion for aviation and gave me that aviation bug that we keep talking about. But for those who don't have someone on the inside, what do you recommend the first steps to be for starting their flight training? Yeah, absolutely. The first step should be finding a local flight school. So I would look up Google Maps if you really have no idea or just do a run of Google search, say flight school near me or learn to fly near me, something like that. And that'll normally pop up a flight school or two. And then after you go over there, just go and kind of interview them, go talk to them, see what their prices are, see see if you get along with them, see if their culture fits you. Um, are they uh, a collegiate program? Are they a mom and pop flight school? Are they something in between? Uh, whatever you're kind of looking for, you need to go find that flight school. So I always recommend you can either go to Google, uh, you can reach out to Stratus Financial to see if there's a school near you that they service. And you can just you can go to your local airport and go ask people. Just go walk around, be social. I know it's weird now. It's not uh, 2020 anymore. Being social is still a thing. So go out there, go be social. Uh, after you find this flight school uh, that uh, you potentially feel that it's a good fit for you, uh, go take a demo flight. Um, it's called an introductory flight some places, but it's generally a 30-minute to an hour-long flight. And you normally get a logbook at the end of it, and you normally learn a little bit, and you find out if, if flight training is right for you and if you really love it. Yeah, um, I agree. You definitely need to make sure that you find the the right place to train and make sure that it's something that you really want to do. It's a big time commitment and it's you know, a big passion for a lot of people though. So after a student completes their demo flight and they want to fly, um, they have to complete a medical exam. So Brian, can you explain what the medical exam is, what the process is for it, how to go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first step is you need to go to a website called MedExpress. And it's an FAA website that allows you to type in all of your uh, pre-existing conditions or or lack thereof. It allows you to put in all of your medical record information, all your personal information, etc. And then after you fill all that out, you're going to take that, I, I guess they give you kind of a confirmation code type of thing. Uh, you're going to take that to what's called an AME, uh, an aviation uh, medical examiner. And they're, they're just a, a, a doctor that specializes in giving FAA uh, medicals, first, second, third class, uh, et cetera. Uh, so you just go there and they would issue you a medical. If you're healthy, they'll normally issue two right away. And if you're not healthy or they find an issue or you had a, an issue such as a disqualifier like diabetes, uh, colorblindness, medication, and probably the most common one is is somebody having a DUI from a year ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, uh, no matter what, that will hinder you uh, because obviously we don't want uh, people drinking and flying. So that's always an issue. Uh, but sometimes just regular medications can be disqualifying, uh, like I was saying earlier. So if you don't get really a clear answer from your AME, which most of the time you won't, they're just doctors that say, 
approved or not approved typically. Um, you definitely want to call an organization called AOPA. Um, they're the airline or sorry, aircraft owners and pilots association. And I've been a member of theirs for probably a decade now. They're a fantastic organization and they give student pilots a six month free uh, introductory uh, membership to their, to their program. And one of the things they do, they do a lot of things for a lot of, a lot of people in aviation, but one of the things they do uh, is help people with disqualifying medical conditions and they give them guidance. It's, it's really, really a neat, neat program that they have set up and they'll literally tell you step-by-step step on what to do on how to do it and how to get your medical passed. I mean, they're really amazing. And everybody who I've ever said, Hey, call AOPA and, and they'll probably give you some, some good sound advice. Every single person that's done that they've gotten their medical. And I actually read a statistic that 95% of deferred medicals, they actually um, get approved if the person goes through all the steps. So if you have a disqualifying uh, problem, don't let it, don't let it deter you. You have a 95% chance of, uh, of, of making that happen. So just like the Powerball keeps going up, if I had a 95% chance of that, I would keep going. Wouldn't you, Carson? Absolutely. I would. And, uh, and Brandon, I know, you know, aside from getting your whole medical and going through that process, I know a significant roadblock for students is finding the funding for what's essentially a college education for those going through the pilot career path. So what do you recommend students do prior to, or even during their flight training to obtain the funding and really get around that roadblock? Yeah. So a lot of students have this issue on obtaining funding. And as we know, flight training is not the cheapest thing to do in the world. Uh, so it, it's a significant investment and it's an investment in yourself and in your future. I know that some flight schools cost as little as $40,000 to go to, to get your commercial pilot certificate. And uh, some cost as much as 150,000 or even more if you go to some college programs. So you need to make sure you know which program you're going to, what the type of school you're going to uh, cost. And you want to make sure you either have a significant savings ready to go. Uh, you need to see if some of your relatives are helping you or is this basically being paid as kind of your, your college savings? Um, or you can always ask a, a lending partner like Stratus Financial. So you could you can get a potentially a student loan to fund all of your flight training with or without a co-borrow. It kind of all depends. But you need to have that funding set up, whether it's from your savings or, or friends and family or Stratus or wherever you may get the funding. You need to have it set up before you start flying. Because otherwise, it's going to turn into a major roadblock. I know a lot of people will start flying thinking they have enough money, and they'll have, end up having to quit midway through because something happened in their life. Um, somebody went to the hospital, or somebody got sick, or got in a car accident, had to buy a new car, or something like that. So try to have that funding and, and have it set aside and kind of earmarked just for your flight. Yeah, and I know you know everyone gets to their flight training a little bit different uh, funding wise. I know Brandon, you you asked for uh, for gifts with flight certificates. Um, I was able to get you know half my kind of half scholarship for my flight training, and I know plenty of people that are either business owners or just college students that just saved up the money and are willing to do it. And I feel like once you have all those items set, you're ready and uh, you're are ready to fly. The big question that a lot of students have asked is what type of flight training are they supposed to go with? Uh, part 61 and part 141, there's plenty of similarities and differences. And I did part 141 for my private pilot training, and I did part 61 for instrument. And I love part 141. 
uh, had the structure and I really knew exactly what I needed to do, what was going to be next and what I needed to have the hang of before I moved on to the next stage. Um, can you give a little bit of detail on what 141 and 61 mean and the differences between the two styles of flight training? Yeah, absolutely. So when Carson says uh, 141 or 61, he's referring to the FARs, the Federal Aviation Regulations, or referring to either Part 61 or Part 141 um, of those regulations. Uh, Part 141 means that the school is an FAA-regulated flight school. They have what's called an Air Agency Certificate, and they have specific courses that have been approved by the FAA. Uh, the FAA has also approved their building their layout, literally how many chairs are in a room, uh, how many whiteboards are on a wall. Um, they verify that your airplanes are in tip-top condition. Uh, they make sure that your training is adequate based on a, on a syllabus, things like that. Um, it's pretty rigorous. It takes several years to go from not being a, a 141 school to becoming one, and it's not very easy. Uh, I've actually done it with two schools. I've went through the entire process, and it is daunting and exhausting, to say the least. Uh, you'll feel like you're almost done, and then something will still have to be changed. So, But once you've done it a couple times, I feel like I could, I could do it a lot easier now. Uh, but regardless, 141 schools are great schools to go to, and most 141 schools actually have a Part 61 program and a 141 program. It kind of depends on the student itself. So, for example, Part 61 hour requirements are actually, we're just going to use private pilot for the example, part 61 uh, hour requirements are, are 40 hours minimum. Now, the national average is actually 65 hours to get your private pilot certificate. Uh, and I would say a lot of people normally get it in the in the low 50s. I think the it's got a high, high average, mostly because there's a lot of schools that don't want you to get your private right away. They want you to time build before you do get your private just so you have more experience, which makes complete sense. Uh, but that's kind of the, the requirement for part 61. Now with part 141, their requirements are actually 35 hours instead of 40. Uh, that's doesn't sound like that much. And to be honest, you probably won't save that much time going part 141 versus 61, as long as your 61 school was well-structured and used a syllabus. But what it does do, it cuts down on the cross-country time that you have to do and the amount of cross-countries and stuff that are required. So that's why part 141 is generally, uh, generally really good, uh, structure. Uh, so you can basically, you can get your private a little bit sooner. So, uh, that's really works good. There's kind of a misnomer though, uh, on the restricted ATP. So a lot of people think if you go to a 141 school from zero all the way to commercial pilot or CFI, you automatically can get a restricted ATP at a thousand or 1200 hours or whatever it may be. But that's not correct, actually. For for that school to be able to, to let you get the restricted ATP, it typically has to be in conjunction with the collegiate program. And you don't instantly get restricted ATP if you go all 141. So you need to make sure that you ask your school if they have the ability uh, to allow you to get a restricted ATP if you do do their 141 program. And I know it's a pretty common misconception. It's actually one I had when I started my flight training. Um, that wasn't what influenced me to go the 141 route. Uh, I was told what, what really happens and how hard it is to actually get the restricted ATP. And once I started my flight training, I decided to continue with 141 anyway. And I think that regardless of what route you take, uh, Brad, as a CFI, what do you think that the time commitments are 
just overall commitment, uh, the requirements that students really need to take as they begin to study and start their flight training? So it really depends on what you want to get out of it. So if you choose a Part 61 school and you're doing this for fun and you just want to go get your private pilot certificate just for the heck of it, uh, you can have a full-time job, you can have a family, you can do all that stuff. And your commitment really needs to be fly three to four times a week or really two to three times a week in the beginning. And you need to study a minimum of 15 minutes per day. So that means every day you study 15 minutes, whether it's reading, uh, watching videos, whatever it may be. But if you miss four days in a row, now you got to study for an hour. So a lot of people will, will mess up and miss 15 minutes. And then the next day, they'll only do 15 minutes, not 30, and it'll take them longer. But if you fly two to three times a week or three to four times a week, and you study that magical 15 minutes a day, you will get your private pilot certificate in around 100 days. Um, and that's typical of most programs, but you really have to be committed to it. Now, different schools have different programs. So some schools won't let you do it like that. They want you to be in a full-time program. And that's what a lot of 141 courses are like. But 141 courses are typically accelerated or pilot pathway courses. So they want you to to be there full-time sometimes. They want you to, to be there four days a week, five days a week, uh, study four or five hours a day. It really, so it's really up to you on which program you want to go to. If you want to go to an accelerated part 141 course, a part 61 course, you need to figure out what works best for you. And you need to talk with the school and see what they do very, very well. Uh, most schools can do either one, uh, but you need to find out exactly what you want and then, and then take it, take it that way. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that one of the real things is just the time commitment and the consistency. Uh, there were weeks where I missed all my flights due to weather or, you know, the normal maintenance that we have to do on our planes, like 100 hours. And I remember going back the next week and just finding out how amazing it is, how quickly you can you really use it or lose it when you're learning the uh, brand new language that flight training is to you. And for everyone else, thank you so much for listening today. Uh, every student is completely different with their learning style and even their availability to flight train. And while we can't speak to exactly what the right style of training is for you, we hope you can give you some clarity on the process and how to find the right fit for you. And although we kind of touched on part 61 and 141, there's a ton of other variables. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. As usual, you can reach out to either one of us on Twitter or Instagram at Mr. Martini Guy or for Carson at Carson underscore AV17. As wrap up for the day, remember here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. <laughs>